0: Hey, guys, it's Sylvie from Waddle & Sylvie on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my guys, Chad and Ryan on the Friendly Confines.
1: Chad, don't look now, but the Chicago Cubs, first place, it's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It's just May. It's
0: going to be June, but first place has a nice ring to it.
1: It absolutely does. We're going to get into the first place Chicago Cubs and how well they're playing. We're also going to talk about early favorites for the MVP. Are the Cubs in position to hoist the MVP trophy with one of their players? I think we all know who we're talking about. Plus, how about an MVP-like performance from Javi Baez in the final game against Pittsburgh? We'll get into that wacky play, which could have been the play of the year, and we have an amazing guest this week. Don't we chat?
0: Oh my, I've been looking forward to this conversation for the longest time. NPR's weekend edition, Scott Simon, huge Cubs fan. He's also a contributor on CBS News. Great stories. You're going to hear things in this interview you were not aware of, and these are really deep within the Cubs realm. But uh, I'll give you a little hint on this. Scott Simon's Godfather, none other than the legend. Jack Brickhouse. So we've got some Uncle Jackie stories and much, much more. So stick around. The Friendly Confines Cubs podcast starts right now.
1: Hi, everybody. He's Chad Gordon. I'm Ryan Lieber. And Chad, let's start, as we always do, in the first inning. And how does this sound? The first place, Chicago... Cubs we didn't think it would actually come to fruition and as of this recording Chad they are how does that sound to you a place that we're familiar with a little bit but by no means did I think we would be saying that at this point in the season what are you thinking when you hear first place Chicago Cubs as they are right now in the NL Central what do you mean we, my friend, on Monday during our studio show, I said we could
0: be recording this podcast in first place. I've got a lot of hope in this team, and what I've seen from this team lately has really impressed me. And they've done this under really tough circumstances, the The number of injuries. That, I mean, it's it's a... There are there are there's there's an entire Major League Baseball team that's on the injured list right now, but for them to be winners of eight of, of of the last 10 to be on this four game winning streak going into the weekend series. Now, granted, they're in first place as we record this, but St. Louis is playing Arizona. So, you know. At the end of this day, they could be down a half a game, but I'm so impressed. What is really the tail of the tape for me is the run differential. This team is starting to score a, a, a lot of runs consistently scoring a lot of runs. We're not seeing games where the offense just turns off and now we're well into the twenties of, of of games since this team has has lost a game by more than one run. You know they still have a losing record on the road, but you go in and you win the series against the Cardinals. You sweep the Pirates as as you mentioned on Monday. They needed to do. This team is very impressive. They have a winning record against over five hundred teams. The schedule is going to get tough coming out, which we're going to talk about in a second. But right now, the way this team is playing, I put them up against
1: anybody. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable to see how this team has been playing and with all the injuries that have piled up so far on this ball club. And we'll get into that a little later. I'm so impressed. You know, we got a chance to talk about this a little bit on our webcast earlier in the week to the fact that, you know, when we spoke about, do we feel like this team has maybe overachieved a little bit? I certainly think they have. And I'm more impressed with how this team has been playing considering the losses that they had in the off season. And now with the fact that we're seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, players that are spending some time on the IL it's absolutely amazing to see how well this team has come together. And, you know, now heading into this next stretch of games, it's really cool. I mean, listen, regardless of what happens from here on out, you know, hopefully we continue to see this trending, but Right now, I I have to believe this has been such a fun stretch of baseball to watch, especially when we saw where this team was just a couple of weeks ago. I I did not expect them to be in the position that they're in right now. I'll fully admit that. I I will admit I did not see it coming, but it's a pleasant surprise. You know, this team, I think, spoiled a lot of fans with the
0: run that they had at the end of the year in fifteen. And you know the the sixteen hundred and three win performance, and some seasons after that where they they shocked you know they 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 led from the beginning. But this is a team that you can't really count out in April, and here we are in May. They're in first place, getting ready to step into June, and that leads us to the second inning. And Rhino, they've got one heck of a stretch coming up. This is going to be a big tail of the tape sort of situation. How will they do? They've got the Reds. They've got the incredible Padres, who are by many you know, many measures, the best team in baseball up against, you know, the White Sox. If you look at them, you've got the giants who've actually been dominating the national league West up until recently four against them and another three against the Padres. And then the Cardinal series, who's definitely at home, who definitely is going to look for some, uh, um, no, some revenge after the, 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 the beating they took uh, in, in Bush stadium. What do you think? Can this team sustain? Can they keep up this pace even in the short
1: term? What about long-term? Well, I mean, short term, I think they can, you, you mentioned it, right? They have such a a huge stretch coming up. This red series is very crucial. I I feel like they have to sweep this series against the reds to gain some momentum, because as you mentioned, the Padres are arguably the best team in baseball. Um, They're, they're no joke and that is going to be a test for them because that's the type of team they're going to potentially see in the NLCS or, you know, even the division series, if it works out that way, let's say. But I am, I, I am, you know, I, right now in the short term, I can see them, you know, continuing to play the way that they are. I don't see this clip uh, continuing out throughout the year. There's just too many variables right now. But I will say that when you look at the NL Central top to bottom, the Cubs right now, the way that the the teams are kind of rolled out. The Cubs are the best team in the NL Central, in my opinion, right? I mean, the Cardinals have not blown me away. I'm actually kind of surprised by that, but the Cardinals haven't really been, you know, these world beaters that I thought not necessarily be world beaters, but better than they are. The Brewers have been hurt by the injury bug as well. Yelich is not hundred percent. The Reds have clearly not, you know, performed to what I thought they would. And then of course we know what the Pirates are. So Looking at the NL Central, if the Cubs can continue to, you know, beat up on this division, it's going to end up, um, you know, spelling success for this, for this baseball team. And, And that is where it's ultimately going to lie, you know, come the postseason. What about, what about you? I see a team that
0: continues to win series, and it, it goes all the way back to they've won every series since the two gamer against Cleveland. And and I've always said I, I appreciate that you want a sweep against the Reds. I don't need a sweep against the Reds. I just want another series win. This next stretch of twelve days, um, starting on Friday. Uh, And we're recording this on Thursday. Six of those games are against the San Diego Padres. And that team is incredible. That team has a guy by the name of Hugh Darvish in there. That team has some of the most exciting uh, offensive players in baseball. Um, And that team is definitely going to come to play. So between that and then the four games against the Giants, yes, the division matters. And I've always said it doesn't really matter how you finish. It matters you finish healthy and it matters that you win the division so you can peak and start doing well in the playoffs. And again, we're just talking about June coming into play. But if if this team can win the series against the the Reds here this weekend, if and if they can split the six games against the Padres and split the six games against the Giants, they will remain... Over 500. I mean, there are five games over 500 here on, on Thursday. Um, don't get discouraged if they have a rough go the next 12 games, because then you've got the Cardinals. You've got the the Mets who are at the top of the East. You've got the um, the Marlins who you feel like the team could take care of. And then you've got the Indians and then four against the Dodgers and then three against the Brewers. This is the stretch here that is actually going to let us know how this team stands. But as long as they play well, as long as their bullpen stands up to what they've been doing and continues to, to uh, hit the mark they've been hitting, this is a, a team that I think absolutely has a chance to, to come into the All-Star break, leading this division, and having some confidence and swagger. And they weren't showing confidence and swagger in that first month of baseball.
1: All right, so let's move on to the third inning, Chad. And a play that, you know, we're going to be talking about for weeks. And and maybe when the season's over, we're still going to look back and say, hey, this was the play of the year. In the game against the Pittsburgh Pirates in the final game of the series, um, in the third inning, Javi Baez made what you just can't teach that. That's just instinct. And it's absolutely unbelievable how he played this, this particular play And then credit, of course, to the Pittsburgh Pirates for just playing like a Little League team when this all uh, came about. So to describe the play for you, Wilson Contreras is on second base. Javi Baez hits a shot to third. Um, They throw across the diamond to first. Javi, knowing that Contreras is trying to run to third base Um, then continues because the throw is offline, starts running back to home plate. So the first baseman, instead of just tagging first base, and mind you, there were two outs in the inning, he starts charging at Javi towards home plate. In the meantime, Contreras, with a heads-up play, rounds third, comes home, and the first baseman, by the time he figures out that Contreras is running home, throws it home, which is like he's literally inches away Contreras is safe. In the meantime, Javi takes off for first and there's no one covering first base because the first baseman's at home plate. So then the catcher chucks it to the second baseman. He throws it wide. Javi then turns towards second base because he's safe at first and he is safe at second base. It was probably the craziest play I've ever seen in my life, Chad. I know that was a long explanation, but what the heck did you make? of what could have arguably been the most fascinating play of the 2021 season for any baseball team.
0: Yes, that was a very long explanation. My assumption is all of our viewers and listeners have seen it, but I appreciate the rundown of it. Uh, I just, I mean, I've never seen a more boneheaded play by a major league baseball player. Will Craig, what what was he thinking? He could have just stood there as as hobby backpedaled and stood there for 20 minutes it didn't matter if nine people came around and scored from second base none of those runs count if you just step on first none of the, he didn't even have to throw the ball to the catcher he could have just tagged hobby at any moment he could have just stood there hobby would have had to ran ran around him on the base path the fact that this happened just shows how poor this pittsburgh pirates organization is that was as you described a little league play it would have been, it, it, there's so many breakdowns in this play. There's no reason to try to throw Wilson Contreras out at home or tag him out. It did, wasn't necessary. All you had to do is tag Javi, or better yet, throws offline, Javi backs up. You go, hey, Javi, see you later. Take two steps and step on first. Wilson Contreras can't score no matter what. It's a force out at first before any run score. It's not a who scores first or who touches first first thing. I was blown away by um, it. It was one of those things I was listening to the game with Pat and Ron and they had made, they said, I mean, between them, they have been a part of, watched play thousands of ball games, just like you and I have watched a, a ton of ball games, never seen anything like it in our life. We will never see anything like it again. I think it's a, It's just it, it's, it really shows how poor this Pittsburgh Pirate team is from a fundamental standpoint that
1: that's even possible to happen. And that's fair, but I'll say this too, Chad. I'm going to give a lot of credit to Javi on this play because, as you and I both know, he is one of the most electric, one of the most must-see players in the game of baseball. And whether he's using his bat, his glove, or even just his feet, he creates plays regardless of where the ball is hit and what he's doing. So there's a perfect example of a baseball team. And yes, they didn't make the right play. And maybe if the Pirates were a better team, none of that happens. But I also think, and, and I, I feel like there is some credence to this, that Javi just creates some sort of just you know sh- shock value for other teams that sometimes they're thrown off by what he does because here he backs up and then, you know, it's almost like a psychological warfare thing where somebody says, well, wait a minute, if he's backing up, then I just have to go after him automatically. Sometimes you forget that you can just tag first base. It clearly was a brain freeze. And I do credit to some degree, the way that Javi plays that made that uh, play, you know, happen more so than if it was any other player not only on this team, but in baseball for that matter, because very few people can impact the game in so many ways, uh, the way Javi Baez can. I appreciate that. But I'll tell you right now, Anthony
0: Rizzo doesn't chase him down that line. Anthony Rizzo laughs, turns around and touches first. That was, I mean, that was, that was akin to me, like a, a, a ground rule double situation where the infielders let it drop. And then a guy on second panics thinking it's a live ball, you know, versus no, it's an out. Cause it was ruled in, 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 uh, ground, uh, 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 a fly roll. Uh, so I I, uh, I just think, you know, I, I what I haven't heard yet, Ryan, when I can't wait to hear it, I need to hear the radio and TV broadcast of of the Pittsburgh team. Um, to hear their take on it because I, I can't even imagine how incredulous they had to make that call but it certainly was exciting to hear Boob make the call and Ron uh, or Patton and Ron make the call as well but yeah Hobby definitely exciting but my god all that guy had to do was just take two steps back and touch first and just laugh at Hobby as he jogs down the line just complete anarchy and I loved it I loved watching it's lighting up Twitter it's going to be all over sports center but my goodness what a boneheaded play.
1: Last point I'll just make really quick. It, it pains me when Derek Shelton, Southern Illinois' very own Derek yeah. Shelton, the manager of the Pirates, and is a friend of the show. He's been on our podcast. Um, you hate to see that happen because yeah. I'm sure – he is probably reliving that moment in his mind over and over and over again. And, and that that's the only thing that pains me more than anything so else.
0: So much. I mean, the fundamentals of that, it, it, it is very glaring. And then the overthrow and then the overthrow, it did at one point you actually saw once the ball was thrown away from the first base or the second baseman who was trying to cover first, you sh- saw his shoulders slump and he didn't even run after the ball. He just literally was like resigned to like, this is the team I'm on. And I do. I feel bad for Derek as well. Let's move on to the fourth inning. And, you know, we've been talking about the Cubby success there in first, ba- in first place as we record this podcast. Ron, who do you credit right now with the turnaround?
1: You know, for me, Chad, I th- I'm going to go with David Ross. I think he has done such a tremendous job. Of kind of, you know, steering the ship, even though this team has had um, you know, injuries, even though early in the season people were wondering what was going on with the offense. People were questioning whether this team had enough pitching. And David Ross, as cool, calm, and collected as he has always been, he never wavered. He always kind of, you know, said, We are gonna move forward, we're going to be okay. And it just goes to show the confidence. And the trust that this team has in David Ross, from the time he was a player on this team in 2015 to now the manager of this team, there is no doubt in my mind that there is a uh, relationship that is uh, goes very deep with these players. They they absolutely back David Ross. They believe in David Ross, and I think when David Ross, um, you know, says to this team. Play relaxed. We have nothing to lose. Um, You know, the Cubs are kind of under the radar right now because no one is expecting them to, in my opinion, be as good as they are right now. I think they came into the season as underdogs. I think they're not even, you know, the, the team that everyone's picking in their own city because all the attention is well. And, And I feel like this, I'm not a huge, not saying this is a huge part of it, but I do feel like there is something to be said that the White Sox are kind of the team that everyone's sort of looking at and they've got their own drama that they're dealing with this year that it's kind of allowed the Cubs to kind of fly under the radar where in the years past, they were always the team that everybody was talking about, not only in the NL Central, but in the city of Chicago. So for me, uh, Chad, I, I absolutely believe David Ross is right now the guy Who, you know, not taking any credit for it, but I have absolutely no doubt he's the one that, you know, for me has, you know, credited, you know, the way this team has just hung in there and now they're turning it around. What about yourself? You know,
0: I, I think David is a great example, especially with all the injuries, uh, having to be able to manage um, all the, 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 the pieces that have to be kept happy and kept active. Uh, you could really say uh, Chris Bryant is the guy as well because the fact that he's played pretty much every position on the field except for, you know, pitcher, catcher, short, and uh, I think he took one rep at, at short, but at second base, but this is the guy that, that and, and putting up MVP numbers at the plate, um, you know, you could say oh, that guy with the versatility of him being able to move around and stand in, in the lineup and getting other people reps at all the other positions. But I'm going to go with I think is the obvious answer. the, 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 the what is responsible for this this uh, this run is the Cubs bullpen. They are fifth in Major League Baseball with um, a strikeout to ball ratio. They're first in strikeouts per nine innings. They're st- first in strikeout percentages. Um, they're top three. In ERA and WAR and and uh, and and, and with all the, the the all of the areas that you want to be strong in, and they are now legendary in Cubs history. They have now gone 34 and two thirds inning without giving up a run. It's the longest streak in franchise history since earned runs became an official stat. So that's pretty impressive. And so think about this team the last couple of years. No lead was really safe. One run games didn't seem to go our well. Wait, this is a team that if they can score some runs, they've got some confidence that Once it gets handed over the bullpen and if it's a seven inning game by Hendricks or a five or a six or, you know, the bullpen has it and they have been lights out. They have absolutely done their job to an incredible level. And I got to tell you, that was a concern point for both of us as we were going into this season. What were they going to do in the bullpen? Was Craig Kimbrell going to be the man? He has been the man. He's been shut down. Incredible. This is a team that if they can go deep. This, this is what you need in the playoffs. You need a bullpen that can shut things down. And this bullpen for me is the response is the reason this team has been playing at such a high level.
1: All right. So let us move on now to the fifth inning chat. And yes, it is early, but Chris Bryant has been putting up some MVP like numbers Uh, in this recording. uh, He is hitting 320, 11 home runs, 32 RBIs, you know, over a a 1,000 OPS, which is ranked fourth. Chad, in your opinion, is Chris Bryant the early favorite for the National League MVP? Uh,
0: We talked about this a little bit in in the studio show on Monday. And for me, there's no question. If you just look at statistics, he's there. He's right there. He's the guy that you want to have in the lineup when a big hit is necessary the home run on thursday the two singles that scored runs on wednesday we can go back game by game to where he had an impact and his his power is peaking up going both sides of the field um getting the hits and just having a lot of confidence swagger in the bullpen but that's not why he's my mvp i mentioned it an inning before the guy is playing all over the field the guy is saying all right, coach, so I can't play third base because of all of these injuries. I'll play right field because we don't have a right field, right? Oh, you need mean, you mean in left field? Oh, you gonna be mean shortstop? Oh, oh, Rizzo needs the day off today. I'll play first base. You talk about most valuable player. What's more valuable than a guy? And especially if he does make it to the trade season, what's more valuable than that trade topic? That's a guy that is not just coming in at third base. You know, Machado, when he got dealt to the Dodgers, his, his market was very limited. He said, I want to play shortstop. So he, he was only marketed as a shortstop. Here's a guy that you could market anywhere on the field. Any team that has a need cross the outfield or on either corner on the infield, they could make a play at him and get his incredible offensive numbers. There's nobody else like Chris Bryant in all of baseball. And that for me is why he's the MVP.
1: It, it, you're 100% right about that. I mean, you cannot deny the fact that you're right. He's playing all over the field. He's comfortable wherever it doesn't affect his hitting at all, you know, and the other guys who are in the conversation right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, you have Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos on Cincinnati and Trey Turner on Washington. But for my money, you got two guys on the Reds who are playing on a bad baseball team. You have Trey Turner, who's playing on a bad baseball team. So, So to me, that leaves Tatis and you hit it right on the head. If you got a guy who's playing all over the fields and not only that is putting up the same, basically the same numbers as, as those other guys I mentioned, I have no, you can't, you can't fight and you can't even make the argument that Chris Bryant, you know, doesn't deserve the MVP award. I mean, he absolutely does, which is, which is again, going to make this whole conversation about if the Cubs decide to trade him or keep him at the trade deadline, I mean, Chad, we could do an entire episode. Uh, maybe we get into this on the web show next week, but like, you know, again, what do you do if he does win the MVP? Right? Like that's a whole question because if the Cubs hang on to him and he wins the MVP, then what do you do? You pay MVP. the man. You pay the right. man. Okay. But then, right. But then that answers, then that that's other questions, right? Like with Rizzo and with, um, you know, Javi, like what do you do at that point? That, that's like another question. So I mean there's there's other things. And then you know, what do you do if the cubs are out of it? Do you trade them? I mean, there's so much, but I, again, in my, for my money, you're right. like Chris Bryant is the early favorite from the MVP for the MVP award. And if the Cubs are in it, if the Cubs are in first place, there is no conceivable way you can trade this man and you're just gonna have to bite the bullet and either you, you got to sign him. But if he wins the MVP, oh man, the money that this man is going to be asking for. There's never been, I, let me just throw this in really quick and then we can move on. There's never been an MVP traded midseason, or a guy who is yeah. going to potentially win the MVP and then wins trade him in season. There has been a Cy Young Award winner, Chad, and you know who it is. He played for the Chicago Cubs and his name is Rick Sutcliffe. He was traded midseason and ended up winning the Cy Young Award. So the Cubs have some tie-in to awards, but it's never happened for the MVP award, but hopefully we won't have to worry about that. And Bryant stays with the Cubs for the for the entire year and wins the MVP.
0: I want to vow this to our listeners, and maybe they do like it. I'd love for this to be a clickbait-free podcast. And I just i I would love to not talk about the trade deadline and about Chris Bryant until it actually becomes a thing that seems like a reality. And right now, first place team, a guy that why wouldn't the Cubs want to run through in their last time with all of these superstars, especially if they can't keep them off, they've done the math, do it. But you're right. If this team falls apart and starts faltering, this is the most valuable trade asset they have. And you're right. If he ends up going somewhere else and it takes the MVP, it's another black Mark um, akin to getting rid of uh, Greg Maddox, but this is a different franchise and they should try to win year in and year out. And uh, like I said, if he, if he wins the MVP and he leads them uh, into the postseason, pay the man, he's worth every penny. He's a generational talent and he is showing what he can do when he's healthy. Um, Let's move on to not so much about healthy, but about, unfortunate situations and I actually kind of felt really good because I've been playing, I've been back to playing ball post COVID. And my biggest concern is a hamstring or some sort of, you know, um, deep muscle pull and Nico Horner. Oh, you saw it on the play when he, he tried to leg out that single and you heard it. You heard it from JD on the TV broadcast. He just, he knew he's down. He's out right now on the 10 day. I, we don't know how long he's going to be on, but my goodness, I know the Cubs keep winning despite, no matter who gets injured, but Rhino, how big is this Nico Horner injury? And uh, man, we were seeing flashes of absolute brilliance at the plate and on the field. What a
1: loss. You know, Chad, it's interesting. There is a direct correlation to when Horner got called up and when the Cubs started maybe hitting a little better. And he's a guy who, you know, has the best average on this team. He was hitting 338 when he got hurt. Um, Certainly somebody that was, you know, supplying uh, some nice contact hitting at the bottom of the order, somebody who you can rely on playing second base. It's a huge blow. And this is probably the first major significant injury that the Cubs have had um, this year. You know, I mean, the Cubs have other guys that are hurt, but they can live without them. Right. Jason Hayward's on the I.L., you know, Jason Hayward, obviously a great defensive player, but the Cubs can live without Jason Hayward. Yeah, and yeah. Injured it. You know, Jake Marsnick. This is this is tough. And while the Cubs have kind of risen to the challenge of being able to play, um, you know, and continue to win without him, I hope that he can get back. Hamstring injuries are tricky. Um, I know you've had them before, so you know it can take months for guys to get back. And I think the key with this is for the Cubs not to rush him, to make sure that he is 100% healthy, because the last thing you want to do is rush him back, and then he reaggravates aggravates the injury. So in the interim, the Cubs have um, gone out and signed um, D. Gordon, who is a uh, second baseman, played with the Marlins, played with the Mariners, provides some pop, he can lead off. Um, he's hit over 300 in the past. He's kind of fallen off a little bit, um, got released, um, you know, before this season, I believe by the brewers, he was uh, released by. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully if he's somebody that maybe can spell some relief can, you know, come into this uh, lineup and, and maybe, you know, provide a little bit of a spark, that would be great, but certainly a rough loss, uh, not to, uh, you know, be able to have Nico Horner on an everyday basis.
0: You know what I like about this team is the fact that it's the next man up and they've not panicked and they've gotten better since this slew of injuries have hit them. And you are right the, the you know the, the most yeah, the most obvious thing that I heard you say during this wasn't really about Nico but it was about how much this Cubs team does not care or mind that Jason Hayward is not in the picture right now because his inconsistency at the plate was, was very, very meddling at, at times, just very struggling. Nico was coming in. I mean, it's incredible. He, he has uh, right now 21 games under his belt in this season, as you know, cause he was brought up late for, you know, all the ticky tacky uh, player development and, and times uh, stuff. He's already a 1.1 war player. He's already been responsible for one win for this team. He's already doubled his entire war total for this team in his first 21 games. That's how valuable he has been. The glove that he flashed, there were reports on a couple different national – Uh, papers just talking about how the Cubs may possibly have the best infield in all of baseball um, between Baez and Nico Horner because of their accuracy and their rate and and, and their range Um, and for him to go into each and every at bat and and being at 338 uh, at the time that he went down the fact that he is not up there trying to yank a home run out trying to be a you know a contact guy um, that's what I think has been most impressive about him. And then the other guys that, that were no names until this year, the Sogars, the Duffies, the others, um, Nico is, is a huge, that's a huge concerning loss. But again, it's next man up situation. This team has a lot of versatility. As you said, David Ross has done an amazing job of juggling all the moving parts, but it's concerning this guy had a chip on his shoulder because he was held back. He wanted to prove that he belonged here. I think we are going to see a heck of a year. We we're seeing the beginnings of a heck of a year in the first 21 games. And with these hamstrings, it could be six, six weeks, it could be eight weeks. It could this could tank him for a long time. And then you've got to get him back into the flow of things and not re-injure it or re-aggravate it in the most explosive way that he plays. So this is a big loss for the Cubs. We only know 10 day IL at this point, but it very quickly could expand. And let's hope it doesn't, because Nico Horner, this team is much better when he's in the lineup.
1: It's time for the Golden Cubs Fun Fact of the Week, brought to you by our partners at Golden Rule Entertainment. For the 1931 season, Bill Veck, who is working for owner Phil Wrigley, came up with the idea to renovate the bleachers, but also add ivy on the outfield walls to give the stadium not only a better look, but to also pad the wall for outfielders. Vec wanted to give fans a feel of summertime at the ballpark. The iconic look paid off as 84 years later, the Ivy still endures and is a staple at the friendly confines. That's your Golden Cubs fun fact of the week, brought to you by Golden Rule Entertainment, offering big league opportunities while owning a piece of a minor league style ball club. Find out more information about how you can become an owner. Go to www.goldenruleentertainment.com.
0: Time now for the seventh inning stretch, and I am super excited about this week's guest. Uh, I've been a long time admirer. Scott Simon, who is the Weekend Edition on NPR host uh, for many, many years, he's a contributor on one of my favorite shows, the CBS Sunday Morning show. Uh, huge Cubs fan. Uh, I, I think you've got a, a, a well. I know at least you have a, a one great Cubs book, uh, "My Cubs: A Love Story." You've got "Home and Away," which I have over my shoulder, which I think is just a great okay. story of, of just just it sh- just sums up your love affair of baseball in general. Scott Simon, welcome to the 17th stretch with Chad. Thank Martin. you. Thank you. Good to be with you, Chad. Thank you. So, so it, much. it's good to have you on. And uh, you know, I always like to ask this question because it, it, this is a Cubs podcast, but I always like to just kind of you know start off with kind of the foundation. What what made you a Cubs fan? Obviously, proximity, where you grew up in Chicago. But but what what was it that, that made you fall in love with this team?
2: Well, I I, I think certainly proximity and The special kind of intimacy that you can feel on the north side of Chicago with the Cubs. I mean, both in my grade school and in high school, Sen High School on the north side, um, when the windows were open during the spring and the fall, we could hear um, the crowd at Wrigley Field if there was a home run. Um, And, you know, coming home, uh, taking the L. home from high school from Sen High School, you you know I would I, uh, I was a transfer student. you would you would pass Addison. and uh, given the fact that we got up school 315, 330, often uh, the WRL was up. by the time um, the train was passing, the train was pulling in and the crowd, if we can call it a crowd in those days, would be, uh, you know, would be getting on. And you could tell, you know, obviously, immediately you, know, you didn't need to see the flag, but just by the um, disposition of the people who were getting on the train. And I, you know, I still think there is a kind of intimate relationship between Cub fans uh, on the North side and not just the North side with the team that is utterly unique. Um, and I, you know, maybe it exists in Boston. Um, after that, I'd be hard pressed. You know, it's a neighborhood ballpark. It's 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 in the warp and the weft of the uh, of the city. I just think we feel Cub fans feel differently about the franchise, um, and uh, you know, it's kind of the intimacy. Now, I I had as it as it also happened, some personal relations. My auntie Marion was married to Charlie Grimm, uh, the uh, old Cub first baseman and manager, who was in that uh, that pretty famous Norman Rockwell picture called the dugout where you have a bunch of cubs uh, sitting on the bench looking absolutely baleful including by the way the bat boy at something mortifying that has happened on the field um and of course my my godfather was jack Brickhouse, the longtime uh, cubs announcer so uh, you know and it, it occurred so i mean i i had told you about a white Sox fan who almost ran me over in the streets of washington dc today uh, a few minutes before that my daughter and i had been sitting at an outdoor cafe and I had my Cubs hat on and a Cubs jacket. And I don't always dress like a Cubs nerd, but I mean, I, <laughs> I, I had to accompany my daughter to, you know, to, in fact, to get her second vaccination. And I just threw stuff on over my gym clothes and it's a little chilly. So we were sitting there at this outdoor cafe and a guy passed me and he said, hey, Mr. Cub, I know what he meant. I'm not Ernie Banks. But in any event, you know, he said, hey, Mr. Cub, and I said, hey, hey. Uh, and uh, it was our oldest daughter who said, isn't that what Uncle Jack said? And I said, yes, you're absolutely right, baby. That's what Uncle Jack said. Can I tell you a story about, about Uncle Jack? I, hey, I'm hey? definitely
0: going to ask you about Jack, so please tell me about Uncle Jack. I want to hear that.
2: OK, so uh, as it turned out, I well, I had told Uncle Jack a few years ago. We were talking about hey, hey. Uh, we, we were having a drink. and uh, um, in any event, I said, I've got to tell you, I met a woman in New York who said that she can tell uh, when a man has grown up in Chicago, if at the, what I'll delicately call even on a podcast, the highest moment of romantic fruition, they shout out, hey, hey. <laughs> and, and Uncle Jack thought that was like the you know, greatest ratification of his life's work that he had ever heard. And as it turned out, the last time I saw Uncle Jack was in 1998 uh, at my stepfather's memorial service. And it was uh, it turned out to be actually just 10 days before Jack himself died. Mm. Uh, I will add, forgive all these parentheticals. You know, his his health had been tender anyway. Uh, And a few weeks before I had I'd called him when he was at Northwestern Hospital because he had had a. essentially a stroke while he was getting why am I telling this story he was getting dressed for Harry Carey's funeral oh my gosh and I said to him you know uh you know I called him in the hospital my mother called and said Jack's in the hospital and I called him and he said "Uh, hi there and he said I I guess I just got a little too excited dressing for Harry's funeral (laughs) they had a They had a delicate friendship in any event. I like to think Harry would have said the same thing in any event. um, (laughs) So the last time I saw him, I didn't know it would be the last time I saw him, but it was at my stepfather's memorial service. And, you know, he was leaving and I leaned over. We leaned over to hug and kiss each other. And he just held me next to him and he whispered into my ear. You keep saying "Hey, hey, kid." You keep saying "Hey, hey," <laughs> which you. was a reference to, to that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so right. sorry, I've gone on too much already.
0: Chad. No, yeah. not at all, and it's a great story, and and that uh, our listeners are going to love that. I, I, uh, I, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about Jack in a bit, but. Um, your love affair with Wrigley Field. Tell me about yeah. what that place means to you, and and and, and obviously you haven't been back um, in in a, in a, in almost two years now. With, with yeah, COVID. you're coming back this summer. Um, what's that place mean to you, and and what are you looking forward to when you get back there?
2: Oh, I mean, it is it is. Um, we all have these parts, you know, in life that are that are important to us. The night that I was going to propose to my wife. Uh, I was going to pick her up at O'Hare. I was going to meet her at O'Hare, and we were going to we were going to stop at Wrigley Field, and I was going to uh, pop the question there. Wow. Now, as it as it as it turned out, uh, her plane didn't land that night from New York because of bad weather. So uh, you know that plan had to be undone, and so the next day we were. Um, I, we, she was coming to chicago to meet me there was a uh, I think it was the international booksellers association convention or whatever it's called and uh in any event so she was meeting me there big event i think she knew i was going to you know uh ask her to marry me it was not long i mean this was within two weeks after we met in new york by the way it was a very quick courtship but to say the least, but in any event, so my plans to ask her at Wrigley Field were, you know, washed out because she didn't come in that night. She came in the next morning, met me at McCormick Place at the convention uh, for the uh, at the booksellers convention, um, and then I decided I would. We we got into a cab at McCormick Place. My wife is French, and I thought I would ask her to marry me in front of the plaque on the North Michigan Avenue bridge, which marks where Para Marquette first came to Chicago. You know, I figured a friend, Chicago connection. And in any event, we get into the cab, it's the early afternoon, the Cub game is on the radio and she can tell I'm a little nervous. She kind of knows what's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, in any event, Cub game is on and I turn to her and I go, hey, the Cubs are up 2-1. And she goes, "My God, I can't believe it! You are actually listening to the game! You're actually listening to the game!" <laughs> uh, in any event, Wrigley Field is just—I I mean, I, I, I honestly I can't think of another, you know, public building that's that's as important to me that contains as many uh, happy memories of being there as a fan, uh, just being there with my father, being there with Uncle Jack, being there with my mother, my, my you know my auntie Marion, in recent years, being there with my uh, my own family and my children. And um, I'm not, when Charlie Grimm had been married uh, to my auntie Marion, and when Uncle Charlie died, um, auntie Marion reminded the Tribune who then owned the club that uh, Mr. Wrigley had promised that Charlie could have his ashes scattered along the first baseline Mm. and the tribune the club just didn't want to hear this but you know they said look if we if we let everybody who wanted to have their ashes scattered along the first baseline be buried the place would be awash in crematorium ashes and they said we just married we just can't let this done be done and on top of everything else they said you know some of our players have religious objections and not you know my auntie Marion was a very determined woman and she persisted. So when the Cubs were at spring training in Arizona, uh, I got a call one night, Zanny Marion come to Wrigley Field tomorrow at 11 you know, and she was able to scatter Uncle Charlie's ashes uh, along first base. And, and by the way, to this day in our family, if there's like a close play at first base, if there's a runner run first and the pitcher is trying, you know, and they fall, we say he gets up with a pocket full of Uncle Charlie. Um, <laughs> in any event, I, I, I do know that Steve Goodman figured out a way to have his ashes scattered at Wrigley Field. Uh, and I, I, let's just put it this way. My daughters know where they're going to put me, okay? Yep. We, have, uh, we have the row, we have the seats. Uh, and they're endlessly resourceful when the time comes, which I hope is no time soon. uh, They'll know what to do. And once again, our thanks to Scott
0: Simon, right? I just, I love talking to real true Cubs fans, especially ones that are brilliant, like Scott Simon. I, I spend a lot of my weekends listening to him hosting NPR weekend edition. He's been doing that for many years. And as I mentioned in the show, um, he's a special contributor on CBS on their Sunday morning show. This guy is a legend uh, in, in broadcasting for me because he's just a, such a great storyteller. And how about those stories about Uncle Jack?
1: Yeah, it, it was really terrific. And I love his like cadence of his vocabulary. Uh, I don't claim to you know have such a, a rich vernacular, but I love people that use these colorful words to describe stories. <laughs> and he is so perfect about the way he... Um, you know, kind of uses phrases and uh, just, you know, his vocabulary to describe things that, you know, normal people would maybe use just like the general word, but he finds like different ways to describe it. And I just found, uh, you know, just a very, you know, you're hanging on every word. That's why he's on NPR. He's like perfect. Yeah. At that. And Absolutely. he's on CBS Sunday morning because yeah. he's you know, a terrific storyteller in the way he does that. So yeah, you, great get by you, man. Yeah, that was a it, really good job.
0: I was looking forward to, to talking to him. It was fun. You can find him on Twitter at NPR Scott Simon. And one other thing, so a really fun fact, we heard stories in that interview, that I guarantee you a lot of our listeners never knew anything about him. Mean, his stories about Uncle Jack, amazing. His stories about, you know, uh, about just some of those inside stories. I mean, that's what I, 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 was, I was very surprised by. I knew that Jack Rickhouse was his, godfather but i didn't know that we would get the insight that we got so special thanks for him coming on we'll release the full interview um next week we hope you enjoyed the snippet uh this week uh, speaking of twitter you can find ryan at ryan d Lieber. you can follow me at the chad gordon both of those on twitter you can find us on our facebook page at the chicago cubs friendly confines facebook headquarters uh, great place to stay connected with us uh, daily weekly and then we have a website as well ryan
1: We absolutely do. You can go to theconfines.com, www.theconfines.com. Sign up for our podcast and we will deliver it right to your inbox. So you don't have to go searching for it, but you can still do that where podcasts are available. But yes, please uh, be a part of our website, theconfines.com as we start the eighth inning.
0: So I'll kick that off Ryan with the eighth inning and it begs the question and it's kind of a generational question, but i would be interested in hearing your thoughts on this. You know, we heard a lot from Scott about his, uh, his uh, uncle, uncle Jack, Jack Brickhouse. And we posed the question is Jack Brickhouse, the greatest Chicago sports announcer. What
1: do you think? Well, I, I think uh, the short answer is yes, Chad, I think he is. And I'll tell you why, um, you know, certainly every, team has the legendary announcer that, you know, they grew up with or they feel like is kind of their announcer, right? I mean, the uh, Blackhawks have Pat Foley, the the Bears, um, you know, had Wayne Larrabee for a long time. Uh, You know, the, the Cubs, obviously had Harry Carey, the White Sox Hawk Harrelson. But let me tell you something, Jack Brickhouse did all of those teams. He was the Cubs announcer. He was the White Sox announcer. He was the Bulls announcer. And I believe he even did the Bears back in the day as well. So this is a guy who literally was the voice of Chicago. And I know as much as Harry is celebrated for, you know, what he did when he was on uh, the North side. And of course he had, um, you know, a, a nice little run when he was on the South side with the White Sox. Harry never did the Bulls games. Harry never did the the Blackhawks, and he never did the Bears. He was strictly a baseball guy. Brickhouse did everything, and he was terrific. And the fact, Chad, that back then when the Cubs would play a day game, Brickhouse would do the game, and then the White Sox would play at night, he would go to the south side and broadcast the White Sox game. I mean, that to me is just amazing. Like, who does that? You don't do that today. It's unheard of. Um, So for for my money, I think, you know, Jack Brickhouse is – of course on the Mount Rushmore of Chicago sportscasters. And yes, you know, a lot of people are too young to remember Brickhouse, me included, but for everything that I've read about him and everything that I have been told about him, uh, he is the, the the greatest Chicago sportscaster um, in the city has ever had. What about you?
0: I appreciate that. I'm not going to say you're wrong. I mean, there's a reason that Jack Brickhouse has a, a statue um, they're off Michigan Avenue. He is a legend um, of his time. Um, I would like to give a, uh, you know, some special, uh, you know, special shout out to uh, Pat Foley. I think that guy does an amazing job uh, and and he was the voice of, of all those great Blackhawks teams and, and he's had a long history there. And then if you also think about, uh, you know, Wayne Larrabee, there's a guy that, uh, you know, the 85 bears team, he was the voice of that team and he was the, the voice, I think of all the one of the Jordan championship runs. I I'm at a disadvantage here. Like you're at a disadvantage here. I never heard a Jack Brickhouse game. Now, I probably could go into the stacks and, and hear it. It would be that old timey on me feel. But for me, the, the my childhood voice of uh, the Chicago Cubs, um, which was the biggest voice that I had um, for the longest time um, was Harry Carey. And I think, you know, Harry Carey, um, what he brought to baseball in the perfect storm of that connected to the national reach of WGN that was the situation where you're like this is the perfect storm you've got a guy this caricature of a guy that's actually a real guy that people want to connect on what's he going to say next I mean he was he was viral TV before that was ever even a thing so I really think Harry was was the guy that most people remember and think of and as as his time fades you 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 obviously look at other you know other people and, and their their resumes and what they brought to the table but Chicago's had some incredible broadcasters, and Jack Brickhouse, Uncle Jack, as Scott Simon called him, was one of the absolute best.
1: All right, so let's finish up here in the ninth inning, Chad. And we've seen this Cubs team um, through almost 50 games, and uh, it's been quite a run so far. So my question to you is, when you look back on past Cubs teams, does this 2021 version of the Cubs remind you of any Cubs teams from the past? Do you, does anything come to mind? You know, you pose this
0: question, and I really tried to think through, you know, what was the team that had their backs against the wall in the beginning and then had all these injuries and just started to excel it? And honestly, I, I, I feel like this team, for me, is, is very unique. And this team has the ability to surprise a lot of teams. This team, if you just look at this current stretch where a lot of these guys or half of these guys on the field were a part of, I like that 2015 team that nobody expected a lot of because they were young. So you could say the same thing here. Nobody expect a lot of these guys because they are getting older Um, and nobody really pegged them to to win many games. But that 2015 team gelled. They had a chip on their shoulder and they found ways to win. And so for me, when I look at this team, they have a chip on their shoulder. There's a lot of guys that that were reading the Twitter and, and seeing everybody that's written them off like 10 days in, 20 days in a month into the season. Everybody's on contract years. These guys, have a lot to prove I feel like that 2015 team was a bunch of kind of nobodies that had a lot of expectations this is a team a lot of maybe has-beens that didn't have any expectations um, and they're out proving everybody wrong on a daily basis granted it's May we don't know how the season is going to play out but this is a team I think because so many people have counted them out year after year and didn't expect much out of them it would be really great to see how they could gel as this year goes on and create some momentum and surprise some people as the year goes on like that 15 team.
1: So the reason I brought up this question, Chad, is because there is a team, in my opinion, that I think this team is starting to resemble. And it is, as you and I have spoken about, my favorite Cubs team of all time. And that is the 1989 Chicago Cubs. This is a team that nobody expected much out of. They were not the favorites going into the season their entire outfield went down in the middle of the year, actually the beginning of the year, I believe it was Andre Dawson and Mitch Webster and Jerome Walton. And the Cubs kind of pieced together an outfield that then included a guy named Dwight Smith and uh, Darren Jackson and Lloyd McClendon. And, and then these guys started to step up and they had a core of great players in Ryan Sandberg, in Mark Grace, um, you know, and then you had like pitchers who you didn't expect much out of. They were young guys, even a, a young Greg Maddox was on that team before he was really Greg Maddox. You had a guy in Rick Sutcliffe who is, you know, a veteran who you can kind of, um, make the, the comparison to Jake Arrieta a little bit in, in that regard. And this bullpen was also a bunch of no names, but they had Mitch Williams who the wild thing would go out and he was lights out, kind of like Craig Kimbrell. And then their manager, Don Zimmer, who was the likable and you know sweet, funny manager who kind of resembles a David Ross in today's game. Now we all know how that all ended up. The Cubs ended up winning the division that year and they played the Giants and unfortunately lost in the NLCS. But I do see some comparisons to this team and the 89 team. And it, and I like that because I've always loved teams that are um, you know underdogs and and play above uh, what people expected of them and overachieve. So there is, in my opinion, some synergy between this team and the 1989 Cubs. And. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, know what I like about that? You know yeah. what I like
0: about that Ryan? Cuz you have been a bit I'm gonna, I'm not I'm not knocking. Our listeners know this is true. You've been a bit down on this team and I know how high regard you put in that 89. team. So can I just get your commitment that you're going to believe and have hope? Can you just put on your like 10, 11-year-old hat and just you know, maybe your short shorts and just get get behind this team and think that maybe maybe they could they could give you the same energy and excitement that 89 did?
1: I mean, I'm, I'm definitely very impressed with what I've seen from this baseball team yeah. with all things that have happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, listen, I, I obviously, you, I can't sit here and say that, you know, we're going to continue to see this team uh, throughout the rest of the season play at the clip that they're playing at. But I will say, Chad, again, this team does have a little bit of synergy uh, when it comes to kind of. How that '89 team played. So for me, uh, yeah, they do remind me of them a little bit. And uh, again, it was a magical year in '89. I know you remember it too. Yeah. Nobody expected that team, the boys of Zimmer. Nobody expected yeah. that team to uh, to come out and and play the way they did. And they really surprised a lot of people. It was a really fun year you, to watch. You that. know what I?
0: You know what I really like about this team, right? is there's no
1: villains. And not only is there no villains, there's a
0: handful of guys that. Every time we play another team, there's a handful of guys in this lineup that every one of those teams would wish they had on the field. How many play? How many teams wouldn't like a Javi Baez, a Chris Bryant, a Wilson Contreras? I mean, there's so many. And, and 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 Rizzo. I mean, so this is not a team. There's without with there's a team with no villains. It's a team of guys that you want to support. And and if this is the last hurrah, oh man, it would be so nice to have this team go out and have a chance to go out on top.
1: Absolutely. Well said. And that will wrap things up on this edition of the Friendly Confines. Again, our thanks to Scott Simon from NPR and CBS Sunday Morning. For Chad, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. Have a good one.
0: See you at the ballpark,
1: everybody.
2: Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're feel The first time you walk into rigor